Welcome to Foundation Christian Church. We're glad that you're joining us for today's message. For service times or to join a disciple group, please visit foundationcitrusheights.com. Who needs a Bible? Would you throw a hand up? And we're going to bring Bibles to you. Thank you, Keith, for standing in. I appreciate it. We've got people uh, out this week, and we've got wonderful volunteers jumping in. If you need a copy of God's Word, just get a hand up. We'll get a Bible to you. Page 907 in the Bible we're handing out. Everybody else, Acts 242 through 47. I know you're surprised. The exact same passage. Well, this passage is loaded. There's a lot going on. So here we are. Let me turn there. If you're new, or if you need a reminder, our current sermon series is called The Family Crest because this text shows us a little snapshot of all the things that the church values most the same way that a family crest is designed to do. This is our identity. This is what we love. This is what we care about. This is what we'll fight over. And you know what? Something I haven't mentioned, it kind of tells you what's not on the family crest. These are the things we're not going to fight over, right? There are all kinds of secondary things that are really not worth fighting over. Acts 2, 42 through 47 is this Holy Spirit given through our brother Luke snapshot of, hey, when the church is doing well, when Christ really has her heart, how does she behave? Make sense? Because don't we want to know what the highest and best foundation would look like? The highest and best of any local church is what? Whatever makes Jesus smile, and whatever makes Jesus smile is going to be faithfully recorded, revealed in Scripture. And so we're going to do our um, memorization exercise here, where we're going to do a corporate reading of the text. The first three slides have all of the words in there. Again, you can cheat. If you've got New Living Translation in your lap or on your phone, you can cheat. But then the next three slides, some words are going to be blanked out like we've been doing to try to get this into our noggin for the glory of God. In case I haven't made the case, I know I haven't said this, Scripture says about itself, I have hid your word, hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. I can't think of a bigger reason for Scripture memorization. This actually helps me to obey God more and probably with more joy. So let's read together. One, two, three. All the believers devoted themselves and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped. Lord, for your word. One more time. One, two, three. All the believers. Lord, 
and to prayer. Holy Spirit, we ask you to please teach us your word. We confess that the flesh never does God's will. The flesh does not want to know your word. The flesh does not want to be transformed by your word. And the spirit-born self does. So give us hunger, God, that we would be transformed for your glory, for our own joy, but especially for the blessing of those around us, God. Let transformation be so obvious so that you get all the credit for what you do in and through your people. And God's people said, amen. amen. I got a question. What do you think are the benefits of being devoted to prayer? I mean, that's a big phrase, devoted, instead of what I usually do, which is kind of hit or miss with prayer. Did I have a regular rhythm? Was it only in crisis? What was it? What do you think the benefits are of devotion to prayer? I want you to introduce yourself to two folks by you, even if you already know them. Introduce yourself to two folks. I'll give you 90 seconds to talk about it.
Who would like to share with the room some of your answers? Who wants to share? What are some of the benefits of devotion to prayer? Amen. Amen. What, what other benefits? What are the benefits of devotion to prayer as opposed to hit and miss? Nobody goes off to college and meets a pretty girl and is like, wow, I really, really like her. I'm going to talk to her at once every three weeks. <laughs> that never happens. <laughs> Relationship building. What else? What else is a benefit of devotion as opposed to hit or miss? It makes us calmer. Makes us what? It makes us calmer because if you're praying to God and giving it to him, you're letting go. Yeah. Hit or miss prayer, praying every once in a while. One more before we move on. What's the benefit of devotion to prayer? Yeah. Yeah, if you enjoy being with your creator. Yeah. Amen to that. Amen to that. All right. We're going to ask and answer this question. This will be the meat of the sermon. Why should I even want to be devoted to prayer? Let's talk about desire, especially if you've got a background in church. You've been told before. You've read scripture before. You know you're supposed to pray. And then you don't pray as much as you think you ought to, or maybe you're not sure you're doing it right. You're covered in shame because, man, I, I really only pray when bad stuff happens and I feel bad about myself now and I'm sorry, Lord, I'm a lousy Christian or whatever. It's not really that I should. It's what can I do to even want to? Why should I want this? Why should I desire this? So that's what we're going to tackle. We're going to tackle desire because if I want to... 90% of the work is done, right? Where there's a will, there's a way. If I desire to talk to God, it'll probably happen more often than it's happening now. <laughs> Let's go. Number one, because I want to be fully human. I want to be fully human. Something that should haunt all of us, but now in Christ it's very exciting, is the way that Adam is able to walk in the garden with God. God walks in the garden with him before we sin against God. We just existed together. Even after the fall, when Adam and Eve hid, and God says, Adam, where are you? He says, well, I heard you coming, and so I hid myself. Anybody here ever, wait, 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 you heard God walking up and scratched your head a little bit about that one? 
There was a closeness in the garden that reveals God's original intention for the creator and the creature to be close. And we see at the very end of the story, Bible reads left to right, at the very end of the story, God is with us. He is with his people once again. There's not even a sun in the new heavens and the new earth because Christ himself is the light. It's in the middle where it's dirty and it's messy because Genesis 3 is essentially a spiritual divorce between humanity and God. We say, we're walking away. We do not need you. We do not want you. And there's something in the human soul that's inherently broken and missing, and all of human history is just a discourse on how to take a God-shaped hole and shove something in there that doesn't fit. Build your whole life around your career? Are you serious? You turned into a jerk with no friends, and your wife left you, and your kids hate you. Like, it didn't work. The pursuit of money, the pursuit of everybody's opinion around you, them all liking you and affirming, like... Are you kidding? Social media has thrown kerosene on that one. I'm going to worship other people's approval? Are you kidding me? Which people? Everything you say, some people hate you and some people love you. Like, this is a fool's errand. I cannot be, and I understand this is an offensive claim from the church, but this is what Christianity believes. I cannot experience all of what God's design for me was apart from him. I am human. I am made in his image. I am deeply loved, loved into the point of God dying for me on a cross. But he didn't die for me because I was complete. He died for me because I was incomplete. He died to make me complete. I've got an amen from the youngest in the room. Yes! Woo! I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Uh, Completion, the whole, you know, the famous Jerry Maguire, you complete me. That is just the, the big uh, flag wave of idolatry. Like you think a lover is going to complete you, you're going to crush them under the weight of it. That's going to be a very broken relationship, a very broken way to function. I want to tell a story. In case you did not see this movie, uh, Spielberg put out a movie in the late 90s called AI Artificial Intelligence. It was when Haley Joel Osment was just making his debut. I don't recall if he did Sixth Sense first and then this or vice versa. But they envision a world where human beings can be manufactured at a factory. And they're not, really, they're not pretending they're fully human. They admit, yes, these are robots, these are AI. But this little robot who looks to be about a nine-year-old boy, he is, what do you want to call it, adopted, purchased by a couple that could not conceive. And so they have this little boy, and he is programmed to think like a nine-year-old boy. He's programmed to act like a nine-year-old boy, play like a nine-year-old boy. But he cannot eat because food would go inside his machinery and and ruin him and mess things up. And so every time they're at the dinner table, he can feel that he's not the same. In the swimming pool, he can feel that he's not the same because he doesn't need oxygen. He can just hang out at the bottom of the pool and the other kids can't. And year after year after year at his birthday, he looks the same in the pictures because he doesn't grow. 
I don't think Spielberg intended, but halfway through the movie, it, it is making one of the strongest, it is forcing the audience to ask themselves, what is human? Because this little robot starts to have dreams and he starts to have desires and no one knows what to do with it. Because he knows he's not human, but he starts to have desires, he desires to be a real boy. He wants to be fully human. And he hears of the Pinocchio story that the blue fairy granted Pinocchio's wish and made him a real boy. And so the rest of the story is this little robot running across a very big world apart from his parents, trying to find the blue fairy because he realized, unless I become a real boy, none of this is complete. This is just a fake junior varsity version of what I'm supposed to be experiencing. Let me ask you a question. What would happen if you felt, for a long time, you felt very strongly that there was no God, and one day, God mercifully showed you the parts of your life where you're yearning for him? And you had never felt that way before. You'd never seen that inside yourself before, but you become convinced one day, oh my goodness, there are God-sized things that I really, really want. For, for those of you who are not football fans, Tom Brady is probably the greatest quarterback to have ever played the game, and he has seven rings now, Super Bowl champ. The morning after he won his third Super Bowl ring, he woke up at the hotel, sat up, and said, is this all there is? The worst thing that can happen to you in your life is getting what you wanted. Tom Brady had moved his entire life assuming all I want is to be the greatest and at some point he's sitting here going, I'm the greatest and I don't feel complete. There's got to be more than this. Brothers and sisters, the first reason to desire a faithful, consistent, vibrant conversation with God is to be fully human. This is what you were designed for, to walk in the garden with your creator, no barriers. That's, nakedness was a literal, physical thing in Genesis 1 and 2, but the meaning is much more important. There were no barriers between us and God. There were no barriers between us and anyone else, no barriers between us and the earth. There were no barriers because there was no sin. And God mercifully, by his son, says, I want to wash you in my blood, give you right standing with myself, and I'm going to put my son at my right hand in the throne of heaven, leaning in, constantly interceding for you. That's what I want for you. A vibrant, abiding prayer life that's even better, perhaps, than what we had in the garden. Who knows? Because now somebody has proven his love for me through the cross and allowed me to talk my father. Here's a second reason. Why should I want 
to be devoted, because I want to be a blessing to my church family. Fill in those blanks there if you've got a pen, because I want to be a blessing to my church family. Take a look at what Paul says just very briefly, just in one verse. He's talking about their circumstances and who's traveling where and who's praying for who, and you are helping us by praying for us. Does that sound tangible? He's saying there's real fruit to your prayers. You're helping us. Then many people will give God thanks because God has graciously answered so many prayers for our safety. He's bringing in a couple layers. He say, hey, the, the, the prayers that you pray for us are tangible so that not only God will, can answer the prayer and bless us, save us from trouble, but all the people who are praying and anyone who knows that you guys are praying will give God praise when the answer is given. When we're delivered, he now gets praise and gratitude. We're building up the church. We pray for each other. We pray with each other. Take a look at James 5.16. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other. Right? I'm not God. I'm not your intermediary. You tell me about your sins. What? To disarm the enemy. The enemy wants to speak into your life. You're the only one who's done that. You're a terrible Christian. None of the other Christians around you are doing that. <laughs> right? You confess it out loud because now somebody has heard what you did and they respond with the gospel instead of condemnation. How much spiritual freedom comes when I tell you, this is what I did this week. And you go, man, I'm so glad Jesus died for that. How can I encourage you? I just disarmed my spiritual enemy. That's why James has us do this. And then because I am not your intermediary, the first thing we do is take it to God. Hey God, my friend just did thus and such. I feel his pain. I have done that a thousand times. We thank you for your blood. We thank you for your Holy Spirit's filling. We thank you that there is a destiny one day where we're not gonna sin anymore. We thank you that there's power in the present against sin. And we ask for that power, right? So that you may be healed. Those two things had to come first. You want healing? Confession of sin to a brother. And then the two of you take it before Jesus. The church gets stronger if we become a people defined by prayer. We're going to get stronger. Third, why should I want to be devoted to prayer? Because I want to be a humble person. Because I want to be a humble person. There are some things in the journey with Jesus where I feel like maybe it's more of a left foot, right foot, where you go, or a chicken and the egg, which one comes first. In 2 Chronicles 7, 14 and 15, if you've been in church a long time, this verse is kind of famous. Solomon is dedicating the temple and he asks for something very specific of, hey, God, I know your people are sinful. I know that we are rebellious. But when, when you give punishment, when you give uh, retribution, <laughs> what's the word I'm looking for? Discipline, really, really heavy discipline. When you allow plague and pestilence and things, gargantuan things to show us that we have gone astray after other gods. When that happens and your people finally repent, like Solomon wasn't born yesterday. Solomon knows, God, when we sin against you, it's gonna take a plague or five before we finally wake up from our drunken spiritual stupor. 
But when that finally happens, when your people humble themselves, pray, seek your face and turn from their wicked ways, he asks for those four things, would you please hear from heaven, forgive their sin and heal their land? And God responds with those, yes, when you do those four, I will do those three, absolutely. Humble themselves and pray. I wanna make an argument for this in both ways. How are you gonna call out to God for help until you've humbled yourself? Particularly if you're in an active state of rebellion. And then I think perhaps for the Christian, it could also go the other way. Lord, I love you, but I'm in this fight against the flesh. I'm gonna pray even when I don't feel like it to keep bowing before King Jesus. Maybe just maybe it creates humility as well. I need both of these things. I need to humble myself, pray, seek God's face, turn from my wicked ways. Even though I am in a new and better covenant, those things don't really change. Jesus just flipped the covenant. Like, while we were yet sinners, Christ died. I'm gonna unilaterally provide mercy by being the lamb slaughtered before the foundation of the world. And from a transformed heart, you guys are gonna finally be able to. This is what he's saying in Ezekiel. I'll write my law on their hearts. (laughs) They're not gonna be able to obey a darn thing until I write my law on their hearts. And this is what he has done in Christ. This is what he's done with the filling of the Holy Spirit. The word of God read now isn't a waste because I'm not white knuckling it trying to obey. I have the Holy Spirit inside me and I have a new heart. I have new desires that love my savior. So these commands all of a sudden are empowered. I might actually do some of it. Does that make sense? If Jesus has my heart, I might actually do some of this. Uh, Whereas all of the history before Jesus, man, it was really rough. It was really rough, way more disobedience than obedience before the cross. And God knew that. He knew, Romans 3, that uh, no one was ever gonna be justified by obeying the law. We're terrible at following it. It really is just there to show us that we're sinners and that we're gonna need a savior. Another reason to pursue being devoted to prayer, because prayer is how I get to know God. Olivia was preaching my sermon for me early. She didn't even know it. Prayer is how I get to know God. Relationship, deep in relationship. In Genesis, the back half of Genesis 18, for me, is one of the most tense and emotional stories in the Bible. God says to himself, should we share our plan with our servant Abraham? His plan is to execute justice on Sodom and Gomorrah for their wickedness. And he decides to tell Abraham about it. Anybody want to talk to Abraham when you get to heaven? I need to hear what was going on. Of everybody on earth, somebody was such a friend of God That's the New Testament language of Abraham's relationship with God. He was so close to God. God said, you know, I'm gonna tell Abraham about it. Do you think God was surprised at what happened next or do you think he knows the future? Because Abraham starts interceding for really five, two large and three small wicked cities and says, Lord, if there are 50 righteous people in that city, you wouldn't destroy the whole city for the sake of 50, would you? And the Lord says, no, if I find 50 righteous, I will not destroy the city. And Abraham keeps asking, he keeps interceding, presumably because Abraham knows Sodom and Gomorrah. He's like, oh, 50, that's tough. 
when he whittles God down to 30, he's like, I still don't know. He gets God down to five. Is it five or 10? 10? Is it 10? So like basically one whole family and one extended family. He keeps asking and he keeps asking. And God knew that he was going to ask. God knew that conversation was going to happen. And so what do we put on your sovereignty hat? God told Abraham his plan because he wanted that conversation to happen. God knew his plan. He wanted to do something inside Abraham's heart. And he wanted the entire conversation written down in Scripture for millions and billions of Christians to see God's heart. That's what the story does for me in 2023. Sodom was not saved. So who's getting the blessing from this? Me. Some of us were talking about Vegas earlier. They're sitting here going, okay, how many horrible things, how many, you know, out of the 11 command? oh, we broke all 11 out of the 10 commandments in a single weekend. Vegas is not inviting the best behavior. But in 2023, I can ask myself, is God going to smite in the here and now? And it's not that his justice isn't perfect in the end. He'll smite. You read the back of the book. But is our sin so bad that he'll just go ahead and wipe out an entire city now? You know what I know about my father from the back half of Genesis 18? If he can find just a handful of folks that love him and honor him in that city, he will be patient with all the wickedness. My father is patient, patient with stuff that we don't want him to be patient about. When we know what it is or when it affected us personally, we will judge God and we will be furious. Why aren't you doing something, God? He clearly did thus and such. Why didn't he get caught? They did thus and such. Are you gonna do something? See, Abraham got to learn so much about the character of his creator and his God in that conversation. And we get to learn about our God too. Brothers and sisters, we wanna be devoted to prayer in 2023. If only because I do not know all of my God yet. That's why heaven's eternal. I will be enjoying and exploring and adoring for eternity. He is eternal in his holiness. Why do I think I'm going to grasp his holiness in the first five minutes of heaven? That's not going to happen. That's not going to happen. Prayer in this whole getting to know God, it is a critical way to grow in Christian maturity. Okay? One of our values. How do I mature as a Christian? I get to know my creator. How do you get to know your creator? Well, like a bat. Bats know so much more about prayer than we do. See, when a bat is flying through a cave, they've got the common sense through echolocation. They make sound and the sound comes back at them quick, and so they know there's the edge of the cave there, or they don't hear anything at all, and they're like, I can fly forward safely. See, somebody who talks to their creator multiple times a day to see what comes back, they know where they are. They know where they can go safely. I don't know where I can go safely because I haven't talked to God in days. I haven't talked to God in weeks. I don't know where I am. I don't know who I am. I don't know what I can safely do. I don't know my environment. 
because I depend on conversation with my creator for him to define reality for me. He knows things I don't know. He knows stuff. He doesn't just know my future. He's ordained it. He's led me toward it without ever violating my free will. If that doesn't blow your mind, think about it more. It ought to. And in that future he's ordained for me, he loves me more than I love me. Prayer. If we do it once a year, how is the bat going to make it through the cave sending out a click once a year? But what if I pray without ceasing? What if I act like he's just walking through the garden here with me? He's right there helping me define reality. Because even the, the problem with pride is that I think I know. That's the danger of pride. I'm not going to pray. I think I know. And I don't. This is the beauty. If you only, young people, if you only decide to get married for one reason, it's not because they're cute. It's because right now you think you know. And then you're going to have a spouse that you live with. And Lord Jesus, save us all. They're going to let you know that you don't know. Put two sinners in a box and then shake it up. Like, what could possibly go wrong? What could possibly go wrong? So let's talk practicals. I'm going long again. We're going to be really fast. What does devotion to prayer look like? I'm going to oversimplify it to just two things. One, pray with structure. Pray with structure. I know that didn't make all your emotions come alive, right? I want testimony time. Whether you are married, formerly married, who here ever established a rhythm to your date night? You said, okay, it's going to be once a week. Okay, it's going to be once every other week. Hey, we're going to have our anniversary trip. This is what we're going to do. Anybody ever established a rhythm in your marriage? I've got three, four of us. So the rest of us are willy-nilly, free spirits. Okay, awesome. Structure, you can argue, oh, that's not very romantic. But no one says that about Valentine's Day, do they? We're going out on Valentine's. We're going out for our anniversary. Oh, this is the, the day that we met. Like whatever. Structure does not have to mean that there's no emotion in it. The structure, are you guys ready for it? Oh, it's back to our pride again. The structure is an admission that we need a little bit of trellis for the vine to grow up because we're, we're not doing what we wish we did. Does that make sense? We have a desire to do this, but we're failing over and over again. What do you guys think about, I don't know, we've heard of this one, praying before meals. I've said this before, I want to say it again so we're not becoming religious jerks. There's no Bible verse that says you have to pray before a meal. And some of you are thinking, well, what Jesus, he, the feeding of the 5,000, he blessed it. And like, how many did you feed with your spaghetti last Sunday? No, that was the Son of God showing off his power so that his message would, of the gospel would be received and needs would be met for a ton of people. The Lord wants to do that through you, that's fine. But it doesn't say just that he thanked his father for the food, he blessed it. Like the creator who spoke, you know, Jupiter into existence, Brett blesses your meal, something's gonna happen. You and I don't bless the same way, right? There's blessed and then there's blessed. But it is a structure that is helpful because food is such a, a powerful symbol that God is the one keeping us alive, right? When I wake up in the morning, I try to 
thank him first thing for his cross and secondly that he woke me up this morning. That's what I try to, like my very first thoughts. God, thank you for saving me because if you didn't, I wouldn't even, why would it matter that I woke up this morning, right? There's no Bible verse that says I have to pray a certain thing first thing when I wake up, but there is biblical example of rhythms when I get up and when I lie down. Rhythms like putting scripture on the wall in your home so that you're reminded of stuff. Praying with structure. We pray in our disciple groups. We pray here when we gather on Sundays. Um, and then here's the other type of prayer. Pray in the moment. Pray in the moment. I had a brother a few years ago really challenge me, not because he said anything, but just by the example he led of when you shared something with him, he would never, ever tell you, I'm gonna pray for you. He would grab your hand and put a hand on your shoulder and pray for you right now. And I just felt that. I go, oh, Greg, you say that. You tell people you're gonna pray for them and then life happens and you forget. Pray for them now. Why not? The person's expressing the need now and they're gonna feel loved by God and loved by me for me responding. And this is the most humble response. I, this is straight out of James 5.16. They shared what's going on. I'm gonna pray for them now. Let me pray for us, and then I've got one reminder for you before we dismiss. Father, I ask you for something that I believe you always say yes to. Would you help us to trust you more? Would you help us to depend on you? Uh, make it second nature, God, for us to cry out in the moment. Give us wisdom in the structures that we set up to help us be completely devoted to prayer, not willy-nilly, not just when things are tough, but Lord, we want to be a people walking with you as in the garden. We want to be defined by prayer. Would you take us there, please? Lord, would you please take us there so that we're a humble people and that we're deeply marked by our communication with you, that we know what is real in the middle of a world that has no idea what is real. Would you make us a peculiar people because of prayer? the precious name of Jesus, we pray. God's people said. Amen. Reminder for you, for those that are planning on attending Foundation Kids Brunch, that is today. Staff welcome brunch. It doesn't say what room. Do you guys know what room it's in? One, two. Rooms one and two. So write out that away. If you're coming to, uh, you're already serving in Foundation Kids or you're in investigating serving with Foundation Kids, please make sure to head over that way, and they're going to start in about 20 minutes. I love you guys. Have a great week. Represent your Savior.